Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. Uh, we are attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. One more time. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the first of a series of meetings, um, the T.W. Willingham Preacher of the Year series. It's the 19th year that we've been able to do this. Anybody know T.W. Willingham? Know of him? That's what I thought. Okay, so let me explain what a Willingham is. T.W. Willingham was an evangelist in the Church of Nazarene for many, many years. He also served for a short time as president of, of Olivet Nazarene College then. He was a stem winder, kick you in the shins, kind of straighten you, straighten you up kind of preacher. Um, in fact, I think we've had some collections of some of his sermons. I know that we have some of his little books, crumbs of something or other, um, in, in the library. Uh, Willingham was an influential member of the, of the denomination, and it was, his, it was his family's wish to honor the ministry of preaching. Reverend Charles Tillman is this year's Preacher of the Year. Would you welcome him, please? You can see from the inside of the bulletin that, um, that Reverend Tillman's been busy since he graduated from here in 1982. Uh, he is a willing servant of God. He has come to minister the word to us, he, and he also knows just exactly what you're going through because he's been there uh, as a student at Nazarene Bible College. Would you, before you preach, introduce your wife to us? Um, you won't have to put up with this. Um, this week, I've asked for folks to help out with the singing. Uh, Dr. Terry Lambright is going to help and come. So, so Stan, we're going to sing Come, now is, the, now is the Time to Worship. It's the best word we know to use. Holy. You define it, you embody it, you help us understand it, and then you give us the ability to, to use it to thank you. We pray that through your servant and through your word and by your spirit that we will become more like you, more holy, as a result of our time this evening. And we know you can make it happen. So we give you free will, we give you free reign in us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. We lift our praise and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be with you on tonight. Before I get started, I would like to introduce my better half, who has traveled with me. Um, Sister Tillman, would you please stand? Amen. 
Thank you. May and I just celebrated our um, 27. All right. <laughs> our 27th anniversary. We were married right here uh, while I attended Bible college um, back in the early 80s. So I thank God for her. You have our scripture for tonight. If you would turn there with me to Daniel chapter 1. And we will begin at verse number 8. <clears throat> but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to sow favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said, to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the raw food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. We'll stop right there. Tonight I want to talk to you from the topic of mandate for integrity. Mandate for integrity. You know, as I thought about our time together and how I would share with you and what I would share with you, I wanted to reflect back on my days here at NBC. And over my years in the ministry, my 20-some-odd years in the ministry, and what do I think is important for uh, preachers in training like you are? What's important for you to know? You know, I, um, even today, uh, and, and I had no way of knowing this would happen, but uh, when, I, when I think about integrity, and I'm looking now at, uh, you heard the newscast earlier today about this unfortunate situation that has happened in, in New York with the governor um, where he made uh, some poor choices. And you know, you, you have to be so very careful as you uh, move out into other positions, uh, be it pastor or be it politician, it is so important uh, for you to have integrity in all of your dealings. I had this little... Um, brochure that was sent to me maybe about a month or so ago and it sort of caught my attention. I want to share some things 
with you. Uh, this brochure really was trying to get, get me to attend some type of uh, legal conference, but um, I was interested at the various cases that it cited uh, of why it was necessary for me as a pastor to come to this uh, conference and also to the, uh, for the treasurer to accompany me. Uh, May 10th, it said in Michigan, an elected official faces embezzlement charges after being accused of taking thousands of dollars from his church. In Minnesota, the former president of a defunct non-denominational Christian college pleads guilty to all 23 counts of an indictment charging him with defrauding a student financial aid program. Uh, in Virginia, a man who conducted investment seminars and billed himself as a financial pastor pleaded guilty to federal charges of bilking Christian investors out of nearly 20 million. In Kentucky, in June, a church pastor purchased a new Porsche with some of more than $700,000 he stole from his church. Um, in Connecticut, a pastor is charged with defrauding a credit union and using the proceeds to participate in an email scam in which con artists pose as Nigerian government officials. The pastor is charged with first-degree larceny and third-degree forgery. That's just a few of them. You know, I sat in my office and I read that and, and, and I was really disturbed. And the question that comes to my mind is, where is the integrity? Where has integrity gone? You know, I, if, if you think about what Webster says, Webster tells us that integrity is the quality or state of being complete and undivided. It's an unimpaired condition one of soundness. There's a definition that I heard years ago that has always stuck with me, and that's the one I want to leave with you if you don't remember anything else. It says this, that integrity is the ability to maintain your commitment after the circumstances under which that commitment was made has changed. The ability to maintain your commitment after the circumstances under which that commitment was made has changed. And I think about that often. Mark Twain has these words framed in his memorial in Hartford, Connecticut. Always do right. It will gratify some people and astonish the rest. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said it like this. I desire so to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end, when I lay down the reins of power, I shall at least have one friend left, and that friend shall be inside of me. Stephen Covey, I like reading his books. I read a book by him years ago on uh, principle-centered leadership or something of that nature, but uh, he's the writer of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But he just simply said it like this, keep the promises you make to others. He listed that as one of the 30 methods of influence for leaders. My grandmother used to say it this way, though. She said, say what you mean and do what you say. Say what you mean and do what you say. It's so important today because right now I believe that there is an amount of skepticism in the community at large, in society at general, 
Even when I listen to the various news programs today talking about this situation in New York, and some of them got on there and sort of dismissed it as, oh, it's no big deal. You know, he was uh, caught up with um, uh, uh, a prostitution ring, and it's a private matter, and we heard that some years ago, uh, even when it rose all the way to the White House. But I want to tell you that you need to make sure that when you leave this institution and you go to the church where God would place you or wherever it is that you want to make sure that you have your integrity intact carry yourself in such a way that you will get respect that you'll bring respect to your office that you'll bring respect to your pastorate um, in the town where I'm at now I'm in my third pastorate I have um, I left here I pastored in Indiana for some years and then I went into Memphis for about seven and a half years, and now I'm in Virginia, and we're finishing five years there. But um, the first year I got there, um, I believe that uh, a local pastor was picked up. He was driving erratically, and um, he flashed a badge. Evidently, he was some kind of a chaplain at the jail, and they let him go. Uh, he went on and later had a wreck, and they found out that he was under the influence of uh, cocaine. Um, another pastor of a, of a large church there was, was picked up um, walking the street late one night uh, cross-dressing. Uh, how do you pastor in a place where people have gotten so skeptical because of the lack of integrity of people that they should trust? And so I thought about Daniel. This is one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible. You know, Daniel is a, a strange character. Daniel, we know, was, uh, was deported uh, over to Babylon, and he and a large group of others came with him. But we only hear about four that really stood out. Now, most of the time we refer to Daniel as Daniel, but the other three we always hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, I'll put it the way a preacher said back in, in Mississippi. He said it was Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. <laughs> but um, that was their Babylonian names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we know that before they were deported, they, they actually came up under the influence of, of what we know as being a great revival that was led by the good king Josiah when they rediscovered the book of the law there in 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter. And upon reading the book of the law, Josiah called all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem together, and he renewed the covenant that had been made by their forefathers. Uh, when he read from that book, when, the, when it was read to him, he realized that, that the nation had, had, had fallen away from its very, the very principles upon which they were founded, that uh, he, we've sinned. There was this sense that we have failed, we've not done what we should do, and they repented. And I tell you what, when a nation repents, God listens. God listens. Uh, it was somewhere during that time that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were influenced. I think it's very likely that, that when King Josiah called all the elders together from uh, Judah and Jerusalem, I believe that it's very likely that Daniel's parents were there. 
But Daniel made a commitment to God at some point during his youth. And even though he was taken captive and taken over to Babylon, Daniel still remembered the commitment that he made under that spiritual reform that was led by King Josiah. In verse number eight, but Daniel refused not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. I think first of all about Daniel's, what I'll call his exceptional resolve. His exceptional resolve. You see, now Daniel had already come had been taken from his homeland. He's taken away from the place where he knew, the people where he knew, uh, very well the place where he worshiped God at, to a strange land where they worship idol gods. And the first thing that happens is that um, they want to change your name. Rather than Daniel, they called him Belteshazzar. Okay? Um, Daniel, whose name means God is my judge. And they exchanged that for Belteshazzar, which means Baal, protect life. And then his three friends, Hananiah, the Lord shows grace. They changed his name to Shadrach, which means the command of a coup after the moon god. And then Mishael, who is what God is, to Meshach, who is what a coup is. And then finally, Azariah, which means the Lord helps, to Abednego, servant of Nebo. But you see, one thing about Daniel, he understood that it's not what they call you, but it's what you answer to. It's what you answer to. Uh, they might call you everything but a child of God, but make sure you know what to answer to. You see, uh, I, 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 when I look at what they were trying to, to do to Daniel, really it was a setup. They wanted to, to, to change his name. They wanted these, these young men who were exceptional, they were handsome, they were intelligent, they were very sharp, they were swift. They wanted young men that, that were uh, Hebrew on the outside, but they wanted to turn them Babylonian on the inside. And so they instructed that they be fed a certain diet. And that's where Daniel drew the line. Daniel said, okay, if you call me Belteshazzar, that's all right, because I know my name is Daniel. But now they want to feed me food that quite possibly has been sacrificed to idols because that was a, a common practice during that time that the royal food in Babylon was offered to idol gods before it was eaten. And according to the law of Moses, it prohibited the Jews from eating foods that was offered to idols. Now there's no doubt in my mind that this was good food. It was rich. I mean, they had wine. They had choice cuts of meat. But Daniel knew that this was not about food. Daniel knew that it was, it was an agenda here. I think he knew. You see, I believe the agenda of the, en of the enemy is simply this. He doesn't mind you to look Christian. Does, it, does, he, it doesn't mind if you, you dress up and you go to church. But if he can get that on the inside, if he can cause you to compromise on your integrity, and even though you look Christian, even though you go to church, but behind closed doors, you're something else. Then the enemy has won the victory. You see, we cannot allow our faith to be superficial, but it must go to the core of who we really are. It's not what you really do in the public that defines who you are. It's what you do in your private life.
And, you know, I'm getting disturbed now that we've come to a place in our country where, you know, they're making, you know, this is a private matter. Sexual mis misconduct, it's a private matter. Well, to a certain degree, yes, it's private, but if you're in a public position, what you do in the private has a great impact on who you are in the public. And we need to be careful if we're going to be Christian leaders, if we're going to stand in the front of an audience, in front of a church, and talk to people about the most, uh, the most sacred thing there is, which is the holy word of God, we need to make sure that our hearts have been cleansed by faith and that we are in tune and in step with God and that our lives model the very victory that we preach to them that they should have. Daniel said, I'm not going to allow myself to go out this way. So what did he do? He said, let's, let's have a test. Why don't you let me eat my food, fruits and vegetables? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good idea for you right now, you know. I, I, I've got a few extra pounds. I could probably stand the Daniel diet. <laughs> and um, let the others eat that. And then you, you test me for a, a certain amount of days. Really, it was a good scientific test they put together as a pre-test, post-test, you know, where um, you have your control group and, and, and then you have Daniel over here, okay? And uh, Daniel eats his fruits and vegetables, and, and then they're eating uh, this, this choice cuts of meat and drinking wine. But at the end of 10 days, we see that Daniel looks healthier, better. See, when you stick to who you are, when you maintain your integrity, it'll show. It will show. You see, not only did Daniel have an exceptional resolve, but he adhered to an uncommon standard. He turned down prime rib for asparagus. He turned down filet mignon for broccoli. How about that? But Daniel knew that he did not want to defile himself. He wanted to, I think this is about his walk of holiness that this gets to the core of who he is, that if I start eating the king's food and, 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 and next thing you know, the, 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 king's, uh, the king's women and everything else is coming after me, then after a while, I'm just like all the others. See, you've got you've to draw a line in the sand and say, I won't cross this line. If you're going to be effective, you've got to draw that line and say, no matter what happens. Listen, after over 25 years in the ministry, I look back over the years and my heart goes out to so many colleagues, former colleagues in the pastorate who, for some reason or another, crossed that line. I sit on the advisory board now and, and, and I see it. It, it hurts. You, you know, you never get accustomed to seeing pastors come in and, and admit to, you know, having gotten involved in, in something they shouldn't have done. And um, sometimes I, I see them come in and, and there's this arrogance, you know, of, well, who are you to tell me what to do? I want to let you know something. Always remember this. You are accountable to somebody. You are accountable to somebody. See, sometimes as pastors, you know, it's easy to think when 
you're not punching a time clock or no one is there looking over your shoulders, so to speak, and depending on the size of your church. When I went to my first pastorate, my district superintendent was 100 miles away from me. He dropped me off in the community, said, build a church. Okay? I wasn't checking in with him every week, every month. I mean, every now and then he would call or I would call him, and he just assumed that I was about the business of building a church. My wife and I went there. We knew not one person in the community. And we went out, we started knocking on doors and introducing ourselves. We made up flyers and said, hi, we're the Tillmans, and we're starting a church, and we'd love for you to come. And that's how we started our church. But, but we did what we were supposed to do. But it's easy. If you have nobody looking over your shoulders to say, ah, I'm not going to do anything today, or I'm going to take the week off, or I want to tell you, when I took that commitment to start that church, I was serious. I knew that although my DS wasn't looking over my shoulder, the advisory board wasn't there, but God was there. And I knew that I was accountable to God and that I was doing his work and this was his church and that I was his person to go into that community and that some people would see God through me and so I needed to be very careful about what I did and what I said and where I went. Integrity. Let's look down for a minute at verse, I want to go down to verse 15. After we see that Daniel uh, got on this diet, it says that at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends, it says they looked healthier better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. How about that? It pays to have integrity. My third point would simply be this. We see a very favorable outcome from people who take a stand for integrity. There will be a favorable outcome. Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than their colleagues. Now, keep in mind that there was a group of them that were deported. But we only remember four. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All of the others, you never hear about them. You see... When you just blend in with the crowd and you start doing what other folks are doing because you can do it, after a while, people just forget you. But when you take a stand and when you say that, you know, there's some things I'm just not going to do. That's what my grandmother taught me. I spent my last few years in high school with my grandmother in Mississippi. And grandmother probably had an eighth grade education. And, uh, but she had a lot of mother's wit. And I just learned so much from sitting on the porch in Meridian, Mississippi with my grandmother. And I remember her looking at me and she would say, boy, there's just some things you just don't do. Just some things you just don't do. And I would quit, Grandma, can I do this? She said, there's just some things you just don't do. Your integrity. I want to admonish you while you're here at Bible College to practice 
being men and women of integrity. That means in your assignments. That means putting in the necessary time it takes to study, to really learn the material, to master the material. That means being honest when you, when you do your work, that you make sure you're doing your work and not turning in someone else's work. There's something called plagiarism, I believe, okay? That's all about integrity. Don't cut corners. If you start cutting corners now, you'll be cutting corners the rest of your life. You have to start and put into practice right here what you want to be when you get in the ministry because you're not all of a sudden going to graduate and then you get out to a church somewhere and pow, all of a sudden, everything's going to start happening for you, all right? You're going to put into practice right now what you're going to be when you go out into the pastorate. And I want you to start practicing being a person of integrity. Keep the promises that you make. You know, people ought to be able to count on you. If you say you're going to be somewhere at 10 o'clock, be there at 9.55. Okay? That's integrity. That's integrity. You know what? I tell you what, we have uh, three sons now. Our oldest son uh, is about to turn 23, but we have two teenagers and I want to tell you something. If, when you have children, they will test your integrity. <laughs> Never make a promise to a child that you're not willing to keep because I guarantee you, if any of you in here have teenagers, won't they remind you? I have three sons and they always remind me, Dad, didn't you say this? Dad, didn't you say you would do this? Dad, what about this? Dad, you said if I made good grades, Dad, you would do this. And I tell you, keeps me on my toes. But I want to teach them as young African-American men. Because, you know, quite frankly, we live in a society that when I look at the statistics uh, regarding black men and 50% who are either uh, been in prison or on probation and so many problems coming from dysfunctional homes, uh, leaving their families, so, oh, there's a lot of problems. I'm a black man, I can say that. But I say to my young men, I say to my sons, I don't want you to be that kind of a man. And I've got to model, I've got to model the kind of man that I want my sons to be. That's what integrity is about. I want them when they become adults, when they, when they are facing some challenge in life or when they're up against something and and, and, and maybe the enemy is trying to attract them to come over to the other side. I want them to be able to look back and think about the life that their father has lived and their mother has lived. My wife has spent a lot of time. She's the one that spent most of the time teaching them how to pray and getting on her knees with them and doing that while dad was working and planning the church. Mom was putting in the time with the boys. And I think about that now when I look at them and I, and I think about how we have both uh, impacted their lives and what we have uh, planted in them and I believe that we've planted good stuff in them the life you live think about look at your congregation and the life you live is seeds and your congregation is the soil what kind of seeds are you planting in your parishioners what kind of a person are you you see they're going to they're going to look at the pastor. They're going to look at the leaders of the church. It's very important, you know, when I'm under fire, it's very important to, to keep my cool because if I start flying off the handle and 
getting all mad and, and being demonstrative, then after a while I get a church full of folk doing the same thing. You have to model the kind of behavior that you want to see. Daniel said that there's some things that I just won't do. And ironically, because it says in verse 9 that God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. I think that doesn't happen by happenstance. I see what I call a unearthly protection that God caused Daniel to find favor in the eyes of his captors. The invisible hands of God will show himself strong in visible ways when you have integrity. The seeds of integrity that you plant in your early years will grow into forests of righteousness in your latter years. Be men and women of integrity. Daniel, as a young man, made a vow to God, and despite being taken away from his homeland, despite being raised in a strange nation, where they worship idol gods, Daniel maintained his commitment to the Lord. And I tell you, and because of that, we read about Daniel today. Had Daniel compromised, I don't think we would have the book of Daniel here in the Old Testament. But because Daniel took a stand, we're able to read about him today. Integrity pays dividends. If you go to the end of the book, around the sixth chapter, not the end of the book, but around the sixth chapter, we see that now King Nebuchadnezzar has gone off the scene and we have another king, King Darius, I believe. And Daniel now is an elder statesman. The new king has come on the scene and he likes Daniel. In fact, he likes Daniel so much that he wants to put Daniel over the entire kingdom, over the satraps and the administrators. And they got a little jealous, put a little plot in place to try to trip him up. It'll happen. I've seen, I've seen folk do some deplorable things to pastors, plant little plots to try and bring them down. But when you have maintained your integrity, my pastor told me years ago, Reverend Alfred Glasper, when I was right here at Bible College, he said, brother, he said, they will always throw stuff at you, but don't let it stick. They will always say things about you, but don't let what they say be true. And so that always has stuck with me. And so they set this trap for Daniel that... Oh, let's look over there very swiftly. I don't know how much time I have, about, probably about three minutes. <laughs> Nobody wants to tell me. It's somewhere in there. <laughs> I know you have to go back to class, but if I keep you an extra five minutes, don't get mad with me, okay? In the sixth chapter, we see where in verse 1 that uh, King Darius appointed the satraps and the, uh, the administrators, and Daniel was one of the administrators. Uh, 
But in verse number six, and I can't see that well. I tell them my eyesight's not as good as it used to be. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, perfects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Knowing that Daniel was a praying man, knowing that Daniel prayed every day at the same time, he was being set up to be brought down. But what happened? It ended up backfiring. They set him up, and sure enough, Daniel, at his regular prayer time, went to pray, and they were there watching him, and they went back and told the king, and king, he has violated your edict, and he's got to be punished, and, and so the king has to throw Daniel into the lion's den. But I want to I tell you something. When you've maintained your integrity, you can sleep with lions, and they won't harm you. He was in the lion's den, but the lions didn't harm you. Be men and women of integrity. Say what you mean and do what you say. Keep the commitments that you make. It's easy now. You're in Bible college. I tell you, I didn't realize it at the time. It's so easy. You're in an environment where you're spiritually being fed. You have wonderful professors who are teaching you and, and emptying themselves into you. And it's wonderful. But when you get out there into a church... You don't have the wonderful professors around, and as my pastor told me, you have to learn how to build your own fire. You can't warm yourself around the fire of your professors. You have to build your own fire because there are people who want to get warmed by your fire. If you're a person of integrity, you're someone that they can look to, they can be inspired by. Be men and women of integrity. God bless you. God keep you. We'll have them come, and we can close with our song tonight. I want you to stand together with me. I know it's time for you to go back to class, but you know I am a pastor, and uh, we are accustomed to having an altar call. We don't have to do that tonight. But I just want every head bowed. And I want you to think about your commitment today. How committed are you to being a leader in church where God has called you and here in the church of the Nazarene? Are you a man? Are you a woman of integrity? You need to really think through your commitment. It won't always be easy. You think it's tough now? Wait till you get into a church. It only gets tougher. But God will be with you. He'll help you. He'll bless you. He'll strengthen you. Father, tonight, I thank you for the life of Daniel. You called him and he exhibited such high integrity that we read about him today and I just marvel at the discipline that he displayed I pray God that 
these men and women under the sound of my voice would reassess, re-examine their commitment that they've made to you. They've made a commitment to come and study, and you've blessed them, and they're learning and growing in a wonderful atmosphere and environment. But God help them as they prepare to leave from this institution, some this year, some next year, some the following year, that they would hold true to the commitment that they've made to you. And they would go out into a church and make a difference in the lives of people that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you've done, what you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.